This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
Thank you, Rachel. Well, I know that you uh, brought your Bibles to church this morning, and uh, I'm just really excited to be able to uh, study the Word together. Before we begin, um, here is your homework for next week, okay? You teachers inflict pain on your students, and so here we go. I would like for you to read Matthew chapter 4. And as I always say that way, if I don't do a very good job, you'll at least get something out of the lesson next week, Matthew chapter 4. Now, you can go ahead and be opening your Bibles to Luke chapter 3 for today and John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at a couple of uh, different places. Um, Now, before we get into our scripture lesson I want you to think about the time in your life when you felt closer to God than ever before. Maybe it was when you initially came to know Christ. Maybe it was during a particular church service or revival service or camp meeting or conference. Maybe it was during your private devotions. Uh, Maybe you're in that season of closeness right now. You feel closer to God than you've ever felt. Um... Just take a moment and think about that time. Now, I say this very carefully. For many of us, or maybe even for most of us, chances are that that season of closeness where you felt closer to God than ever before is not right now. Chances are that for some of us, the best days that we can remember spiritually are in the past. You know, the old-timers used to call it the good old days. Now, I I know what I'm about to ask uh, us, us to do is probably pushing the outer limits of our comfort zones. And what I'm about to ask us to do does not mean that you're backslidden or even in trouble spiritually, but if your moment, and I want you to be honest here, if your moment of greatest closeness to God was in the past... I want you to raise your hand, but before you do, I'll be the first to do so. Now you can follow. If you feel your moment of greatest closeness to God was in the past, just raise your hand. So having said that, let me just go ahead and give the altar call. Not really. Let me tell you what's transpired in my heart this past week. I had in mind to kick off another series of messages, and I actually had done some some preparation for that, and I was kind of excited about the about the theme. But last Sunday, if you were here, you may remember that the team that went to Israel had the service, and we built the service around the theme of rediscovering Jesus. This week, I couldn't get away from that theme. It, it, it was like a slow burn on my heart. And when I came to preparing the lesson for today, I, I couldn't get around it. And that was all that was on my heart. That was all that was on my mind. And, and maybe the reason that the theme resume, resonated within me so much is because I'll be the first to say that I want a fresh encounter with Jesus Christ. And as your pastor, I'm sorry if this disappoints you and you can fire me if you need to. But, but I do remember periods in my life when I sensed his presence more real than today. 
And that doesn't mean that I no longer have a relationship with him. Not at all. But but I do hunger for a fresh encounter with him. And, And so I think maybe that's the first reason that this theme resonated within me. But I believe the second reason that that theme resonated within me so much is because possibly others of you as well, you're a lot like me. You remember the past blessings and but, but you're not just content to remember the good old days. You want a fresh touch from the Lord. And so for the next little while, and I don't know how long we'll be in this series, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, maybe a couple of years. I don't know. Maybe a couple of decades. I hope God knows because I certainly don't. But, but I want to spend some time studying the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and in hopes that we will rediscover him. And here are two different challenges that I make to you. And, and I know this will stretch some of you, but, but if you really want to move closer to Jesus, this week I would like to challenge you to fast the noon meal on Wednesday. And, and if possible, I would like for you to join us at the church at 12 noon. And I realize that it doesn't fit everybody, but if you can... Join us at 12 o'clock noon for a prayer meeting this Wednesday. And it'll be come and go. You can stay as long as you want. But the second challenge will be over the next few weeks, I would like to challenge you to read at least one of the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They detail the life of Christ. And so I would like to challenge you to read at least one of the Gospels, your choice. But if you want to be an overachiever, read them all. And before you read, and as you read, just pray that Jesus will reveal himself to you in such an incredible way. Because, listen, Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Amen? And I realize that many of us in times past, including me, we've said, well, well, the Bible is the foundation of our faith. But it really isn't because a book is not the foundation of our faith. Now, the Bible is the foundation of our belief system. It's inspired. In fact, part of Psalm 19 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So you want revival? Go to the word. It says the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You want to be wise? Go to the word. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. You want joy? Go to the word. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight to life. They're a warning to those who hear them. There's great reward for those who obey them. So so the Bible, God's word, is inspired. It gives us the foundation for what we believe. But again, a book is not the foundation of our faith. Jesus Christ is. And that's why we want to go on this journey to rediscover him. Let's roll. When Jesus came on the earthly scene a couple of thousand years ago, he came to introduce something brand new. Understand, Jesus did not not just come to simply complete the Bible so we would have an Old Testament and so we would have a New Testament. Neither did he come to create Judaism version 2.0. Jesus came to do something brand new. And the way that God chose to bring Jesus out onto the public stage was very interesting. And, you know, at a lot of concerts, they have what they call a warm-up act. Jesus had a warm-up act. And it was almost like God the Father was saying, Okay, ladies and gentlemen, 
from the Jordan River basis, draped in animal skins with locust breath and, and honey dripping from his beard, would you please make welcome John the Baptist? He was the warm-up act for Jesus. And by the way, the reason he was called John the Baptist is not because he wasn't John the Methodist or, or John the Presbyterian or John the Episcopalian. He was called John the Baptist because John, as far as we can tell in history, was the first person to physically baptize another person. Baptism at this point in the first century was part of a multifaceted process that a non-Jewish person would go through to become Jewish. There was generally a meal. There were some things you had to learn. Then your baptism was a ceremonial washing where you were indicating, hey, I'm dying to my Gentileness, if that's a word, and I'm coming alive to my Jewishness. No one dunked you. No one was even touching you when when you did this. It was pretty much self-baptism. But he was John the Baptist physically and in a sense even manhandling people, dunking them underneath the water. And that's how he got his name, John the Baptist. Now, as we jump into the life of Christ... We will be reading from different Gospels. Today we will be reading from the book of Luke, and then we'll look at this account from the details that the Apostle John also provides. First of all, Luke chapter 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I thought the same thing. You're thinking, come on, Trussell, skip this part. Hard to pronounce name, names. Uh, let, let's get to the important part. Well, this is the important part. And let me tell you why, because the list that talks about the emperor and the governor and the tetrarchs and the priests is basically Luke saying to the skeptics, I dare you to fact check me. This is not, well, you know, once upon a time, long ago in a galaxy far, far away in a place you've never heard of. No, no, Luke is saying what I'm about to tell you really, truly happened in history. And so he meticulously documents this period of time. He says, what I'm telling you took place when so-and-so was the emperor, so-and-so was the governor. These guys were tetrarchs. These guys were the high priests. And so after giving all of these details, it was like, okay, now do I have your attention? Is everybody with me? Does everybody know what period of time I'm talking about? Well, he goes on and says in verse 3, He, John the Baptist, went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, it's really important to understand that his audience wasn't like just a dozen or so people listening to him. No, probably thousands and thousands of people are going to the middle of nowhere. And I'm telling you, at this time, this was in the middle of nowhere. If you lived in Jerusalem, you would have to get up before sunrise, travel all day, and you would get there after sunset. And on the banks of the Jordan River, in the middle of nowhere, is this guy who has attracted crowds of thousands upon thousands of people. Well, of course, the huge crowds begin to worry the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They they always got nervous when... Somebody attracted a crowd because that opened the door for an uprising. But it wasn't just the crowds that disturbed them. 
John's sermons also bothered them because they were different than the stuffy sermons that were given in the temple that basically just talked about Old Testament law. So you have the crowds, you have the sermons. But then the report goes to Jerusalem that there by the Jordan River, these people are praying and confessing their sins. Well, that sounds normal for us today. But in this day, that was unheard of because you see the Jewish people during this time had a very sophisticated system for how you confessed your sins. If you lived in the general vicinity of Jerusalem, you would go to the temple, you would bring a sacrifice, and there were certain sacrifices for certain sins, and, and you would bring them to the high priest, or, or maybe the not-so-high priest, uh, and you would confess your sins, and then they would decide what kind of hoops you would have to jump through, much like you know a lot of religious systems today. But here's a nobody. In the middle of nowhere, preaching, teaching, people are confessing their sins with no priest around, no temple around, no altar around. And, and then what really piqued their concern was that many of these people who were being baptized by this crazy preacher, they were Jewish. And since they were Jewish, technically, technically they didn't need to be baptized. Remember, in that day you were baptized into being a Jew. And these people were already part of the covenant of Abraham. So, so John the Baptist had these religious leaders as nervous as a cat on a hot stove. Okay, let's switch to another gospel that will give us some additional details. John chapter 1, verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Jumping down to verse 15, he cries out saying, this was he of whom I said he comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Did you catch that? From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Now, now I'm sure that after saying what John did, some of the people said, wait a minute, John. You've you got to back up. We don't understand that statement that you just made. You said, he who comes after me, he's not here yet. We understand that. But then you added this statement that this man that you said would come after you, he was here before you. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, well maybe John says, oh, okay, let me rephrase that. And possibly he says, okay, what I'm trying to say is that I got here first, but he got here before I did. But you haven't seen him yet. And I'm sure some of the people just shook their heads and said, you know, this is like Trussell's preaching. I don't understand him. <laughs> well, as word gets back to Jerusalem about this man, the city begins to flock down the hill to the Jordan River Basin. You know, and the temple leaders, they come together to try to find out what to do and figure out what to do. And so they meet with some of the not-so-high priests and the not-so-cool Levites and with the lesser scribes, and they say, hey, you know, you're kind of the lower tiered leader. So we're going to send you on an assignment we really don't want to do. Um, we need you to go 4,000 feet down in elevation, down to the Jordan River, and see if you can get an appointment with this John the Baptist and find out who he is and what he's doing and what his mission is, and then come back and tell us everything. So this delegation of not-so-high priests and not-so-cool Levites and lesser scribes, you know, they make the journey that for us a couple of weeks ago we made, it was uh, about an hour by bus. Uh, 
but for them, it was probably over a day's journey. And this is what it says in John chapter 1, verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Now, let me just kind of call a time out here. And I don't know if this is exactly the way it all went down, but, but it almost seems like John finishes his sermon. Maybe he baptizes a few people and he steps out of the Jordan River and he sees this delegation. I mean, these would have been guys dressed in black robes with cool tassels and they would have had the curls coming down and they're heading towards him. And it almost appears that John knows what they're going to ask. Uh, you know, he, he knows that they're going to ask, who are you? And are you proclaiming to be another one of those, you know, wannabe messiahs? And, and so he anticipates what they're going to ask. And before they say anything, he blurts out, I'm not the Christ. Verse 20. Well, they have a quick follow-up question. In verse 21, they ask him, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Now, have you ever thought about why they asked that question, are you Elijah? Well, the last book and the last prophet in the Old Testament was Malachi. And, and of course, when Malachi finishes the, the book, we, we have no written record of any revelation from God for 400 years. And it was almost like Malachi, uh, you know, he finishes the book, he turns off the lights, he shuts the door. But, but anyway, Malachi, the, the prophet Malachi says, before the great day of the Lord, I will send the prophet Elijah. So these leaders know that and, and they're, okay, if you're not the Messiah, are you the guy that comes before Messiah? Are, are you Elijah? And John responds, I'm not. Well, they ask another question. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Now, have you ever wondered why they ask about the prophet? Well, it was because Moses and the Qumran community and the team, we went there in the area where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. They, they taught that there would be some great prophet that would rise up to prepare the people for the next big thing that God was to do in the nation. So they ask you, are you the prophet? And John says, no, I'm not. Well, the visiting delegation, you know, Black hats, black robes, tassels, curls. They said, enough of this nonsense. Let's just cut to the chase and let's quit playing games and, and just answer this. Who are you? I mean, we can't go back to Jerusalem and report to our superiors and say, well, we didn't find out who this guy was, but we found out who he wasn't. And we can't do that. So, John, we need to know by whose authority you're speaking and and oh, by the way, John, just a tip, just between you and me, there's going to be fire on the mountain when the bigwigs find out that you're letting these people confess their sins down here at the river instead of at Jerusalem. Because, John, you know that everything, everyone is supposed to confess their sins up on the hill in the city of David and at the altar in Jerusalem. John, you're acting like a portable temple. Well, John replied by quoting the prophet Isaiah in, in, in verse 23. He says, I'm the voice. In other words, I'm just the spokesman. I, I, I'm not the guy. I'm just the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, I'm just the warm-up act. 
I'm just here to get people prepared for what God is about to do. And, And yes, I'm allowing people to confess their sins, but they're not confessing their sins to me. But yes, they are confessing their sins, but heads up. And maybe he said, just between you and me, somebody much greater than me is about to come. Well, the Pharisees answered back in verse 25, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet? And John replied in verse 26, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So in other words, you think I'm a big deal? You think I've drawn a big crowd? You think I've made you and your bosses nervous? You ain't seen nothing yet. Because I'm the warm-up act. The main act is coming. And compared to him, I'm a nobody. Well, with that, the leaders wrapped their robes around themselves and left and went back up to Jerusalem and and I chuckle here as I was studying this week. I had to kind of cackle. They had to be so nervous as they went to give their report to the main religious leaders. I mean, because their report was basically, um, sorry, we don't know much more than we did. We've got a pretty good idea of who he's not. But we're not sure who he is. And and the high priests that are taking their report, they'd probably go, oh, you guys are idiots. I guess we're going to have to go down there ourselves. So they get up early the next morning. They're probably in a big entourage with tents and food, and they make their way down 4,000 feet of elevation to the Jordan River Basin. And as they get close to the crowds, people see them. They probably start whispering among themselves, saying, I can't believe who is coming. Because remember, these are the bigwigs. You've got the high priest who gets to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And the people are saying, I can't believe we're so close to them. Well, again, John's doing his thing. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's baptizing people. And he looks up and he sees them coming towards him. And Now, John knows that the first delegation that came to him, they were a really big deal. But this group, they're really, 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 really a big deal. And try to picture the moment. You have John with his disheveled hair and honey dripping from his beard and locust breath and whatever animal skins he's wearing. His deodorant has quit working. He smells like, you know what? And here comes the most sophisticated, proper, buttoned up, dressed up, oiled up, fixed up people in the nation. And switching back to the Gospel of Luke... Luke chapter 3, verse 7, all of a sudden, John the Baptist blurts out loud in front of everyone. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Now, in Cedar County, we would have said, you low down bunch of snakes. Well, can you imagine? A hush goes over the crowd. I mean, nobody is supposed to talk to these guys like this. These are the holiest of the holy. Again, these guys have the tassels, the curls, the robes, the hats. John says, you bunch of snakes in the grass. He continues on and says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, let me break down this statement because this was a major dig. Essentially, John the Baptist is telling the holiest men in the entire country, repent of your sins. And not only that, he said, then I want to see fruit. I want to see evidence that you've changed your ways. And do you know what John the Baptist was doing right there? He was giving everybody a heads up. In fact, he was giving you a heads up. He was giving me a heads up. He was saying that the days of compassionless, the days of loophole religion, the days of legalistic behavior where you could dress right and talk right and comb your hair right and think that that would make you right with God. He said, he was saying those days are over. John the Baptist is giving them a heads up that all of that is coming to a screeching halt. So he says, you need to repent and then you better show evidence in your life that you've changed. If you don't, then you better prepare yourself for the wrath of God. Well, as you can imagine, that meeting turned out to be very short. They turned around and stomped back up the hill to Jerusalem. But then it happened. The moment the nation had been waiting for. The moment the world had been waiting for. The moment that the entire creation had been waiting for. It happened. Do you want to know what happened? Verse 29, John chapter 1. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. No caravan, no tents, no entourage. Here comes Jesus walking towards him. Now let's just pause in this moment. In this moment, there's Jesus who knows who John is. And, and, and there's John who knows who Jesus is, but no one else has a clue. But in this moment, as John sees Jesus and Jesus sees John. This is the moment when Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, steps into history as an adult. And here is God in a body. Someone said God in a bod. But here's God in a body for the first and possibly last time. And he's about to go public. And in this moment, in this moment, Things would begin to change and it would never go back to business as usual. So all eyes are on John the Baptist. And he invites his audience. And I, I think he invites you. And I think he invites me. He says, look, look. Remember, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's baptizing. But all of a sudden he says, look, and everybody probably is looking around. And he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And 
And that word away literally means who lifts up and carries away the sin. Lifts up and carries away the sin of the world. Look, the Lamb of God who lifts up and carries off the sin of the world. And maybe the people were thinking, wait, wait, John, (laughs) this is going too fast for us. You were just saying that God has provided a lamb to be sacrificed. Here we are many miles away from Jerusalem. We're, we're miles away from the temple. We're miles away from the altar. Now you're saying God has provided a lamb way out here in the middle of nowhere in the desert for a bunch of nobodies. And, and it, that didn't mess up their minds sufficiently. John also said that this lamb would take away the sin of the whole world. And so maybe they thought, John, wait a minute. You're not saying that God will take away the sin of everyone, are you? I mean, certainly you're not saying that the Lamb would take away the sin of non-Jews or the sin of our enemies, the Romans. You're not saying that, are you, John? Come on, John. You you know our entire religious system is designed to keep us separate from the world. We don't eat their food. We don't wear their clothes. We don't marry their daughters. Their sons don't get to marry our daughters. We don't go to their homes. They don't come to our homes. In fact, at the temple, there's just one little tiny area that these non-Jewish people can go into. The rest of it is designated for us Jewish people or or those who have converted to Judaism in our kind of way. And John, our whole frame of reference is us and them and God is for us and he's against them. And here you're telling us that God has provided a lamb to take away the sin of the entire world. But that indeed was what God through John the Baptist was saying. And what is tragic that through the centuries that ensued, the nation of Israel somehow lost sight of the fact that even though they were indeed God's chosen, God's chosen people, they were supposed to be like a cocoon. And from that cocoon would be birthed light and life, not just for the nation of Israel, but for the entire world. And John the Baptist was trying to help them understand that Jesus was the bridge between an old and a new covenant. He was born under one covenant to introduce the other. The first covenant was a covenant between God and a nation that was instituted on Mount Sinai. The second one was that God would establish a new covenant, not with a nation or not with one nation, but with all nations. Let me give three wrap-up thoughts and then I'll let you get to Sunday school here. Jesus came to establish three new things. First of all, he came to establish a new covenant. This was a new covenant between God and mankind. And in a way, this covenant was very exclusive, but yet it was also very inclusive. The covenant, the covenant establishes that it is by grace through faith. <laughs> Which means that this covenant includes people like Dick Humphrey and Joe Trussell and Gene Westhoven and Randy Bland, all five of them. (laughs) By grace, through faith, we can become part of the new covenant between God and mankind. The second thing that Jesus came to establish was a new command. Jesus would come along and take the 600 plus commandments and reduce them down to two. You know, love God, love each other. 
And then Jesus would send his followers into the world to teach what he had commanded, not what Moses had commanded. And the third thing that Jesus came to establish was a new movement. And this movement would be referred to as the church. And the church was not a building. It was not a denomination. It was not a set of beliefs. But it was... But the church was people from all across the world, from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, who've received forgiveness of their sins and have had their lives transformed through Jesus Christ, who came as a lamb to take away, remember, lift up and carry off the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin. So as we go on this journey to rediscover Christ... We lay the foundation today that Jesus is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And that will be the only way we will find peace. That will be the only way we can find forgiveness. That will be the only way we find eternal life. So, as we're on our journey to rediscover Jesus, don't forget why He came. He came to take your sin and mine. And if you have sin in your life today, the first step in rediscovering Jesus is to let him take and carry off your sin. And if you have sin in your life today, that's what you need to let him do. Let him take and carry off your sin. Lord, would you just kind of... uh, settle down upon us today Lord I pray that you would begin first with the pastor of this church that you would help me to rediscover Jesus in a fresh way that I would have an encounter with Jesus that I would have just a fresh touch from Jesus and the Lord I prayed that it would spread to every person here and that we would no longer be casual but father I pray that there would be just a movement that would rise up to where We don't want to be casual. We don't want the same old, same old. We don't want lukewarm Christianity to dominate our lives, but we want Christianity that is on fire, a Christianity that understands the price that was paid for our sins and and that we would understand that, that, that God sent the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And so, God, I just pray that you would do a work in our hearts this week. And Lord, for what you do for us, we will thank you. And it's in your name we ask these favors. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.